The effect of the menstrual cycle on physical performance is being increasingly recognised as a key consideration for women's sport and rightly being called out as an important area for further research. This was further backed up by Dina Asher-Smith's recent withdrawal from the 100 metres at the European Championships due to menstrual issues and called for more studies to help female athletes fully understand their menstrual cycle, how that links to physical performance and ultimately how can this information help them to achieve their best athletic performance. Females are different to males if you hadn't noticed. Yet the vast majority of sports science studies looking at physical performance and training have been carried out on men. Female sex hormone concentrations change throughout different phases of the menstrual cycle. Therefore, we shouldn't expect the findings of these male-dominated studies to extrapolate to females. And it's not just Dina Asher-Smith who thinks this area needs more scientific attention. A study from 2019 noted that studying the impact of menstrual cycle phase on physical performance was one significant component needed to develop a female evidence base in sports science. Studies have shown that female athletes often subjectively perceive their performance to be relatively worse during the early follicular and late luteal phases. Now don't worry, we're going to explain what those are later on. Studies examining objective performance, so whether we're looking at anaerobic, aerobic or strength related tests for example, have not yet reported clear consistent effects of the impact of the menstrual cycle phase on physical performance. However, 10,000 meter runner Ailish McColgan has only ever failed to finish in two competitive races, the dreaded DNF as she called it. Both of these occasions were due to menstrual issues. In a recent article on the BBC Sport website, she described her periods at times feeling like her legs have been replaced with concrete blocks and a screwdriver is carving out the Taj Mahal around her ovaries. She stated that some months it's manageable, other months it's unbearable. Uh, there was no telling how she was going to feel on any particular day. Now, I'd imagine that when she's having a bad day, trying to perform to the best of her ability or at least run is an almost impossible task. We know that sports performance is as much psychological as physical. Therefore, to optimise performance and management of menstruating female athletes, further research is needed to understand the impact of menstrual cycle phase on physical performance outcomes for each individual athlete because we are all different after all. So we'd like to see more research in the future. I think we're all agreed on that. But what do we know about the menstrual cycle and its effects uh, on the body during exercise right now? I'll be honest, before doing any of this research, I was pretty clueless. So let's get the foundation set by first answering the question, what is the menstrual cycle? Well, the menstrual cycle is a series of events that prepares the uterus for potential pregnancy. The menstrual cycle is separated into two distinct main phases. We've got the follicular and luteal, but we need to break that down even further into subphases, which are the early follicular, the late follicular, the ovulatory, the early luteal, the mid luteal and late luteal phases. 
Estrogen, progesterone, follicular stimulating hormones, FSH, and luteinizing hormone, or LH, are constantly fluctuating through these subphases, as shown in the diagram on your screen now. The early follicular phase begins with menstruation, which usually takes four to six days to complete. During this phase, female sex hormone concentrations of estrogen, progesterone, follicular stimulating hormone, and luteinizing hormone are all relatively low and stable. Estrogen increases as the ovarian follicles, which each contain an egg, uh, when they mature. Uh, when estrogen rises to a certain level, we get a rapid increase in luteinizing hormone, which is LH. Uh, the LH spike triggers ovulation, making this the ovulatory phase. And here, a mature ovarian follicle breaks open, releasing the egg into the uterus. After ovulation, we have the early luteal phase. Here, we see a steady rise in the level of progesterone and to a lesser extent, estrogen. And this comes from the ruptured ovarian follicle, which is now called the corpus luteum. And that's what's released the egg. Progesterone peaks in the middle luteal phase. And we also get a second smaller peak in estrogen that prepares the endometrium for the implantation of a fertilized egg. The luteal phase ends with pregnancy if a fertilized egg is implanted. But if the egg remains unfertilized, then the corpus luteum will slowly degrade, causing a decline in progesterone and estrogen during that late luteal phase, as the cycle prepares to restart with the uterine lining eventually detaching, ready for menstruation to begin again back at the start of our diagram cycle. The timings of each menstrual cycle phase shown in the diagram uh, here are approximate figures. We know that everyone is different. Therefore, the timing of ovulation and all the other menstrual cycle phases can vary greatly from person to person. So urinary tests that measure the hormone levels of estrogen, progesterone, follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone are used to more accurately identify the menstrual cycle phase the individual is in at that very moment in time. At least two-thirds of elite female athletes are eumenorrheic, which means they're actively menstruating. And about half of these athletes don't use any hormonal contraceptives that could help to regulate their menstrual cycle. Ailish McColgan brought up a really interesting point in her article that the presence of menstruation can also be used as a barometer of whether the athlete is perhaps overtraining and underfueling. If the athlete is overtraining and or underfueling, then menstruation is often the first thing that disappears. Therefore, even though taking a hormonal oral contraceptive could help reduce or take away her problem as much as it causes issues, it also gives very useful feedback to Ailish that her body is healthy and has enough surplus energy for menstruation to take place. If menstruation was to stop, then she can use this warning sign to alter her training program and or her nutrition plan as well. And this is something as a, as a male playing sport, of course, I've never had to think about. So I found that a really, really interesting insight into the, the mind of a, an elite female athlete. Quick break here. Uh, if you do think this video is delivering good value and is helpful, then please remember to subscribe to the channel and also like the video. 
put any questions or any ideas for future content in the comments as well, because uh, we love to hear them. But let's get back to it. It's been assumed that physical performance changes over the course of a menstrual cycle. Athletes like former world champion Dina Asher-Smith and Commonwealth champion Ailish McColgan have voiced their experiences publicly. And that's really useful as individual case studies is where we probably need to start this journey of finding more information. Because at the end of the day, as we said before many times, even if the current research says that the menstrual cycle doesn't have any effect on sports performance, we already have two very prominent elite athletes who have experienced very, very differently. So what is the current research telling us? Uh, what do we know, or at least think we know at this point? Well, we know that estrogen has a neuroexcitatory effect. Uh, that means that it's gonna have a positive effect on movements that require high levels of strength and power. For example, sprinting, throwing, bounding and jumping, etc. On the other hand, progesterone inhibits cortical excitability, which reduces force production. So there's a potential tug of war between the two. So let's go back to our diagram of the menstrual cycle and look at the fluctuations in the different hormones. So we could guess that greater strength and power outcomes would be produced when progesterone remains pretty low during the follicular phase and also when estrogen starts to peak during that late follicular phase. Lower strength and power outcomes would be expected in the luteal phase when progesterone levels are relatively higher. Studies have looked at muscle and tendon stiffness as well to establish whether any particular menstrual cycle phase means the athlete is more at risk for soft tissue injuries. And some studies have concluded that stiffness is affected by a menstrual cycle phase. Looking at sprint athletes like Dina Asher-Smith, it's vital for her tendons and muscles to maintain a high level of stiffness for better storage of and, and use of elastic energy during jumping, sprinting and hopping, all plyometric movements. Ailish McColgan said she made the mistake of pushing training too hard during a particular menstrual phase, she didn't say which one, and she ended up tearing her hamstring. It has been suggested in the research that the increased concentration of oestrogen in certain phases of the menstrual cycle may reduce tendon or muscle stiffness by decreasing the collagen synthesis and therefore the collagen density in those connective tissues. But as we speak, this is yet to be sufficiently proven. Results of studies are conflicting. In one study, it was concluded that any increase in oestrogen during the menstrual cycle is not great enough to result in a meaningful change in collagen synthesis and stiffness. Therefore, the effect of tissue stiffness may or may not vary through the menstrual cycle and it may not have a meaningful impact on performance. But we've always got to allow for individual differences, haven't we? Now remember that, I'm hammering that home, but it must be done. Elevated progesterone during the luteal phase can shift the thermoregulatory set point and this could potentially negatively or positively impact performance depending on the activity duration. Increased body temperature is known to improve performance in short duration activities that require speed and power. It's a much more favorable environment for muscle contraction. 
Sprinters will always prefer to train and compete in warm conditions. So it's proposed that the increased body temperature during the luteal phase could actually enhance sports performance in short duration activities. However, studies found that if the athlete warmed up sufficiently, that they felt it negated this difference. But in prolonged activities like Eilish McCall winning the 10,000 meters, for example, the elevation in base body temperature is suggested to impose greater thermoregulatory and cardiovascular strain and potentially limit endurance performance during that luteal phase. Long distance runners, for example, will generally prefer mild conditions, making it more difficult to raise their core body temperature. I remember at the Tokyo Olympics seeing lots of marathon runners wearing cooling vests prior to setting off in an attempt to keep their core body temperature as low as possible before the race. Back in 2019, there were a few elite soccer and swimming teams using a commercial smartphone app to track their athletes' menstrual cycles. Now, I'm sure or certainly would like to assume that this is much more commonplace nowadays. The app recorded when menstruation and various menstrual symptoms occurred. Athletes, coaches and support staff could read through the data to identify if any changes in an athlete's performance or readiness to perform occurred in different phases of the menstrual cycle. If a pattern in sleep habits, training and match performance or nutrition choices and lifestyle factors did present itself, then this could be incorporated into the athlete's training cycle and training plan. Given the increasing use of menstrual cycle monitoring in applied sports science settings, it's important that there is high quality research to inform the best practice guidelines for whether and how training, nutrition or recovery programs should be modified based on the particular menstrual cycle phase. Having this data available is really, really useful because it will allow players and athletes and coaches to match physical performance, which would be training and competition, with recovery data like sleep and nutrition, etc., with the menstrual cycle stage data. If patterns are noticed, then certain provisions can be put into place to give the athlete the optimal chance to perform to the best of their ability. Personally, I think this is where I'd like to see the lion's share of research uh, directed uh, into coming up with more accurate and user-friendly ways for female athletes to accurately monitor their menstrual cycle phases in order to match it with how they feel uh, at that particular time and ultimately how that affects their physical performance. But I'd love to hear from uh, a lot more of the female athletes out there of where they would like to see the research going as well. Perhaps there's lots of sports scientists out there as well with a much more in-depth knowledge uh, than I have, and I'd love to hear from you too. So can you put that down in the comments and we'll hopefully start a great conversation there. But thank you for watching the video. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.